0: Welcome back to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show. It's the ninth series, would you believe? We've been doing this for nine years, different presenters, different show lengths and uh, different ways of doing it, but it's always been about cricket, the cricket coaching podcast for you. My name's David Hinchliffe. I've been on most of these shows and someone else who uh, has been on, I'm gonna say the vast majority of the shows by now, uh well two people in fact the first is the director of cricket at millfield school it's mark garraway hello garas i can't remember when you started on the show it was a little while in but it was several hundred shows ago definitely
1: yeah it was 2011 i started uh right right at the end of 2011 i started doing this and it's been it's been one of the highlights of my working week week in oh. week out it's been magnificent and uh uh, obviously good company for half an hour you gentlemen are um, but it's just brilliant to connect with people and, and then also to get the follow up isn't it from from all over the world um, not just in emails but also randomly I, you know when I was over in the West Indies just before Christmas uh, I got off a plane and the third person that I spoke to was just reveling in pitch vision you know which was just <laughs> magnificent brilliant. so, so now so it's, it's fantastic to be involved still and thank you for keeping me on board
0: yeah well no thank you for coming along um and thanks also to the third person on the show it's the head of cricket performance at portsmouth grammar school it's sam lavery hello lavers you i think you're the newest boy in the team but you've still been doing it for a long time as well haven't you i, I,
2: I'm, I think i'm the newest by distance but i've probably got about 150 shows in would you say <laughs> Yeah. well that's yeah. thanks very much I was, I was bowling at the time so sorry oh, about that you've just, got to,
1: you've just got to raise the microphone then like that yeah. and then share it, to yeah. the, share it to the audience
2: yeah, yeah I've, gone, I've gone for 150 rather than scoring 150 <laughs> I think
0: the Mason Crane of the poker
2: oh come on now oh, come on come now on. he's a good lad I'm sure he, he is. is I'm he's sure he is it. it's only three years ago that our boys were playing against him two years ago probably I can't remember uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be.
1: Uh, I think it's he'll done no good. harm. I think he's the type of guy that's going to deal with that pretty pretty well. I mean, the question, ultimately, which I've had all winter, is that I think there's been so many better ways to develop Mason Crane over the course of the last six months than making him do twelfth man in England for ages and not play any county cricket, then making him do the same and, and sticking him into that uh, that frying pan. Um, you know that that to me is something that uh, we don't want to repeat too often yeah.
2: Pl- player management isn't maybe it's maybe people think we, we look at these things in with, with kind of hindsight and stuff but i think if you'd have been asked to manage him from 12 months ago careers it may have been different
1: well, I mean, go, without going off the topic here, I sat with his parents at Lords in September where they were up at Lords for a test match against the West Indies um, and uh, he was doing 12th man and they basically traipsed around the country doing exactly that for a while and he hardly bowled in county cricket. Now, the biggest shame of that is it was a time of year where probably he could have impacted upon games of cricket for Hampshire. He'd have definitely got uh, overs under his belt and whilst I recognise the value of being involved in that type of setup and getting used to the people and the environment and all of those things that we talk about on this show a lot, um, at the age of 20, you now he really needs to be learning about his bowling uh, in the way that many of the, the, the great spinners um, have done in the past. Uh, and it's it's just been disappointing for me there was a lions tour out in australia he could have been playing heaps of cricket bowling heaps out with the lions having a little bit of interjection into the test side over the course of a tour as they run alongside each other um, and there were so many different ways of doing it but i said i said exactly what i've just said on here not with hindsight which is what i normally do but actually to his parents and whilst that might not have been what they wanted to hear i really believe that we need to nurture a talent like that rather than uh, then just think about what's best for us over the course of the next you know, three months, which is effectively what we've done in the Ashes.
2: You, you can understand their excitement and Mason's excitement of you're going to be on the main Ashes tour and blah, blah, blah. And that is a, uh, unbelievably exciting for someone um, of any age. Oh, but, incredible. Um, but um, yeah, with a slightly more long term... He's not going to disappear in two years' time. He's a, he's a cricket that's going to be around for... Well, fifteen years plus you would have thought, so um you don't need to rush these things and get him get him bowling. Get him bowling, get him batting as well.
0: Yeah. And and even the greats, you know, the even the greats, especially early on, even the greats were, you know, got biff for a hundred from time to time. So, you know, there's there's no reason not to um there's no reason to think, oh, he's yeah, he can't do it. Oh well, let's move on to the next one. You know, that's that's not the way to go about it, is it? Is there a
2: story about your wrist spin coming here, David? Is that what you're alluding
0: to? Yeah, uh, no, I never, my wrist spin never never got beyond the um, try, trying to get a tennis ball down the other end. So, For, <laughs> I, I always I always envy the the leg spinners. I've always think to myself, if I wasn't if I wasn't a wicketkeeper, I'd probably have picked leg spin because that's that's my favourite. <laughs> that's definitely my favourite. But I couldn't I couldn't bowl it so. I just had to pick up the gloves instead. Make it easy for myself. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and while we're talking about the Ashes, um, there was a thing I wanted to talk about um, this week, which is uh, multiple formats. Um, one of the, uh, whether it's right or not, one of the criticisms of uh, the England team is that um, they weren't prepared as well as they could have been for the Ashes because a lot of the focus is on one day cricket and on you know trying to go for the 2019 world cup and all that kind of thing so um uh, what that means i think you know at lower levels is an interesting thing is can you focus in on different formats um all at the same time or do you have to sort of pick your battles and say you know what our main priority is going to be this and it might mean that we don't perform to our best in um you know if you're a club team for example if you say well look you know we, we may not be at our peak in 50 over cricket but we think we can win a twenty over competition. And it happens in county cricket as well, doesn't it? You get teams that say, you know, we're focusing in on twenty twenty and we're not necessarily going for great success in the in the championship. So is is there a way that you can focus on everything? Or is it one of those things you have to sort of just pick your battles and say, look, this is what we're good at, this is what we can know we can do well in, and we're gonna go for that?
1: I think I think most of the time it's the the latter picking picking your strengths utilizing the other competitions but for, for different things you know for development means and very much you know when I ran Somerset we had to do that because we had such a young age group squad that the likelihood of us being uh, experienced enough and um, savvy a- enough to play the longer game and do very well and it was limited um But we felt that we were strong in 2020 cricket. So we really focused on that. And and fortunately, all the gods were smiling and we ended up winning it. Um, But, you know, it's rare, isn't it, that you have a player group that can be confident of being very very strong uh within multiple formats uh in the same year very rare that that happens it does happen um, but but it is it's becoming increasingly rare you've got to have a big player group i think in order it's particularly the top end of a game and probably the same in club Uh, you've got to have a big player group to be able to do it or you've got to have the best team within the structure or one of the best teams within the league structure or Alternatively, you're going to be playing at a level of cricket that is, is slightly beneath you and, and is easy to dominate. So um, that that would be my my view, is that you, you pick your battles wisely in the main, unless you're in one of those fortuitous situations that I've just mentioned.
0: Yeah, certainly in, in my experience in club cricket, you know, you get different levels of, of player availability depending on what, what type of cricket they like to play, and you know, generally speaking, your your average club guy is probably going to want to play league cricket on a Saturday, and then that becomes your strongest team by default because you know maybe you've got two midweek evening twenty twenty games in a week, and that that guy said, well, actually, you know, I can only I can only play on Saturday, so I'm just going to have, you know I'll pick this. I'd rather. Pick the Saturday rather than play an evening game, you know, away somewhere, and, and you have to rush after work and all the rest of it. So, it definitely does become a, a what can we focus on and how can we make the improvements from what I've seen. What do you think, Lavis, Is there a way of covering it all?
2: Probably, but in all honesty, to get everything covered and to um, to compete high to compete to a high level at, at every single um, competition that's coming your way is extremely tough and. There may be some um, clubs at a lower level, probably yes, but at first class international level, the depth of squad, the range of squad, the um, the depth of coaching staff as well, because the uh, the workload put onto people not only in the travelling around all the matches, but also in the planning, the preparation, the review. Um, the research into opposition position all these things come into play. There's so much that needs to be done if you're gonna really do things well and target things that if you're gonna try and be all things to every competition, it's it is really, really tricky. That doesn't mean you're gonna not gonna give everything your best, but you're gonna try and get something out of every competition you're in and and hopefully that experience is going to benefit you in the in the kind of area that you're targeting. But um, as you as you uh, as you are at different levels, as you said, I I think club cricket, um, there are certain clubs that will kind of have a real crack at everything, and 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 that's not necessarily down to the quality of their players or all the depth of their players. It's more just down to the kind of um, the club environment and the enthusiasm that the people have for being part of that club and and uh, the enjoyment that they have it as as sort of playing cricket or. Or being together, and and I think you need that if you're going to get people to pitch up, like you said, for the play the Saturday, play the National Cup on the Sunday, play the midweek 2020, all that kind of stuff. That takes a special club environment and a club atmosphere to really make that happen, and it doesn't happen very often.
0: And I guess it sort of this is a very leading question, but I guess when you look at uh, when you look at England, and you say, well, you know, if. If England wanted to have a focus, you know, because it's very hard to to do everything, excel at everything, if England wanted to have a focus and they feel the best chances of winning a World Cup rather than beating Australia and Australia, was it the right thing to do to say, you know what, you know, we're gonna give the Ashes our best crack, but actually it's not the biggest priority in the next you know, over over this period, three, four, five year period.
1: Well certainly over the certainly over the four year period. Um, and certainly from when Andrew Strauss came into a position the, the focus was very very much on uh, the World Cup in 2019 You know, England were hosting two world events in the space of um, two years the 2017 ICC Champions Trophy and the, the 2019 World Cup um, and everything was gearing up to the, to the second one really and obviously they ended up getting to the semi-final losing disappointingly to the eventual winners uh, who were Pakistan in in 2017? But they they're really focusing on that. They they know that they're going to be very strong at home, irrespective of some of the gaps that are in their team at the moment. Um, you know, when was the last time England lost a, a test series at home? And and there have been very few and far between. I think. Um, uh, uh, you know, I think it's more difficult when you go away and everybody's experiencing that at the moment. With the away cricket in test matches is incredibly difficult to win and that's something that I think needs to be looked at and addressed if test cricket is going to retain being a strong spectacle, you know, because we want to see even contests, don't be home and away, even contests really as a, as a viewer, as a spectator, as somebody who's spending lots of money either on Sky subscriptions or TV subscriptions or travelling overseas to watch games. You want to see uh, a contest don't you and and presently around the world we're not not just in the ashes but um, in many places uh, you know around the world the Indians for example over in South Africa that game looked like it was going to be a a bit nip and tuck but actually ended up being a pretty comfortable win for for South Africa at Newlands the other day so uh, they've definitely gone down the road of aiming for 2019 there's no two ways about it but knowing that they're going to be incredibly competitive in front of their own fans in Test match cricket.
0: Let's move on to some questions, questions sent in by listeners to the show or readers over at pitchvision.com. And uh, how this works is we answer the questions and then from those two questions, we pick the best one of the week and that wins a prize, which is an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. You can email us on coach at pitchvision.com if you want to send your questions in or interact with us in any other way. And there's social media ways of getting in touch with us as well, which we'll tell you about towards the end of the show. And the first person who's got in touch with us this week is Steve. And Steve, uh, this is not really a coaching question, but it it might prove uh, an interesting discussion. So I thought I'd drop it in. Steve's question is, um, centuries versus fifers. Is it harder to get a century than a fifer, not a coaching question, but something I've wondered about.
1: It's a great yeah. question. It's a brilliant question. And yesterday I posed this question across uh, in our staff room. Actually, we had a load of cricketing and teachers and cricketing and coaches around the table. Um, so I chucked it out there and uh, and had a little chat about what was what was happening. And then we started to do it a little bit, and I'm talking snapshot uh data mining here uh, as opposed to anything anything else um so is it more difficult to get a fiver than 100 well in test match cricket it's easier to get a 100 than it is to get a fiver and in fact in international cricket it is easier statistically in our snapshots of uh, data mining to get a 100 because there's the frequency of them tells you that um But actually that changes somewhat when you go to different levels. So for example, at Millfield last year, it was easy to get 100 and it was to get a five. And now a lot of that is to do with the amount of overs that you play because obviously um, getting five wickets isn't always the easiest thing to do when you're playing 20 over cricket, 30 over cricket, 40 over cricket, or 50 over cricket. But we do see a higher prevalence of, of hundreds. But in club cricket, and I did this based on some imagery on you know the honours boards that go out around all the county boards in the UK uh, I did a real snapshot of about 10 of those boards picked some random weeks in the season and had a look at how many uh, hundreds there were versus how many five wicket uh, five wicket hauls and often there was a reverse. So in club cricket there were more five wicket hauls than there were hundreds because the hundreds were generally run out on the honours board when they got to about fifteen maximum down to about nine in any given week from any given county. Whereas there were always twenty five wicket hauls in there, which I thought was quite interesting. So um to me that comes down to a couple of things. One is the quality of the pitches that people are playing on it governs which part which uh, the ball or the bat is going to be in the ascendancy so test match uh, cricket one day internationals um, and T20s are often played on batting uh, friendly pitch not friendly pitches but good pitches uh to bat on which makes it really difficult for people to to get five wickets and so therefore we should celebrate five wicket halls quite significantly uh, in a lot of independent schools a lot of the wickets are, are very very good indeed and therefore the frequency tends to be more towards the bat than the ball in terms of meet, meeting those milestones yet in club cricket and this obviously isn't everywhere and there will be counties where the web is better or the pitches have been invested in or whatever but generally there's been a higher frequency of five wicket hauls than there has been a hundred again that is very snap, snapshot data in the league stuff uh, and i'm happy to be challenged on that because you'll probably be right but um but that's what we discussed uh, and our our views up front may not have been the same as the views that we had after we had a look at some numbers
0: Yeah, it is very context-dependent, isn't it? But um, I guess if the question is, is it it harder to get a century? You could look at that in a different way as well. So the frequency is a really good way of looking at it, a good numerical way of looking at it. But you could also say, is it harder physically, mentally, to um, take five or to score 100? And I guess that's another, just another perspective of looking at it, isn't it? Rather than say, you know, what what's the difficulty level based on how many times someone was able to do it? But what about what's the difficulty level on an individual basis? Of I've absolutely given everything and I managed to squeeze a five for uh, compared to scoring hundred on a flat track, and it's still pretty tough. But you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I can still I can still stroll home home, and I don't need to um, don't need to. Have an extra couple of hours in bed <laughs> because of it, whereas the poor old bowler's, uh, you know, his foot, his knees all swollen up and all the rest of it. So, not not that I'm saying that the fifers worth more, but I always feel like the the bowlers complain a lot more than the batsmen. So maybe uh, maybe it's harder for the bowlers.
2: I guess you've got that massive variability of conditions and and what what are the circumstances in which you're playing? Are you playing on a on a nice cool kind of 15 to 20 degree day in where bowlers can run in all day and, it, and it's not too much a challenge on them physically in terms of temperature and, and the ground is as they would like it and the boundaries are whatever and the pitch is doing X, Y and Z or, or, or are you batting in th- those in conditions I, I, I could say I've, I've batted in a lot of very cold, wet northern cricket matches when I was young Um which were very very challenging and difficult to bat on. Equally, I have batted on like one of the flattest decks in the world in Australia in 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 forty two forty three degrees, and batted for a, a sort of a fairly significant period of time again. Um, which one was more difficult? Well, they're actually both very very challenging in their own way. Um, and some people will deal with the heat better than others. Some people will deal with those those conditions and those soft pitches and those. Um, uh, Those kind of uh, bowler friendly conditions better than others as well and everyone's going to be slightly different in what they are more accustomed to or what they are better at adapting to Um, but there are challenges in every time you go out to bat and there are challenges every time you go out to bowl.
0: I'm, I'm going to say a five for because most of the bowlers I know are bigger than me and get angrier than uh, than I can handle so I'm going to say a five for because the, bat, the batsmen are all show ponies anyway so they don't, they don't care if I say a five foot but the bowlers might
1: I, I'm, I'm with you I, I, I honestly believe that it is easier particularly nowadays to get a hundred
0: than it is to get a five there we go there you go there we go so there you go Steve but a, a final decision there never to be argued against <laughs> All emails to
2: Gareth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Next question from Tejbeer, And Tejbeer says, this is about back foot contact as a bowler. I understand that ideally the back foot contact should be very soft and on the toes. But in my case, it's pretty hard and completely flat footed, which eventually leads to detraining of my speed. Can you give me any advice on this?
1: Yeah, I I think there's a few things. I I reckon between the three of us, we're going to come up with with quite a a lot of potential root causes here. Um, One for me is when people run in and then they come in on an angle or they jump into their back foot contact on an angle and then have to realign themselves to the target often then that that process they spend a lot of time on their back foot which means they're having that heavier heavier land and they find it difficult uh, to have a light touch because a light touch would send them off towards fine legs or a right-handed batter and they need to realign themselves to hit the stumps or hit the batter depending on what you're aiming at at the other end so uh, that often happens and we see that when people jump in or run in on a quite an acute angle that they they spend too much time on their 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 back leg and they can't do that sort of pre-turny type thing that uh, is banded around um so that's the first one the second one is when we see that people are running in and have a huge lean back in their in their bound stride that, that often their weight is so far back when they hit back foot contact that um they can't transition off of it very quickly and as a result uh that's uh, a, a pretty heavy landing and and takes up a lot of the foot plates the foot uh print of your back foot when you do that so there are the two two main causes that i see from a from a technical one the other one obviously and, and this is where sam and yourself might uh, elaborate more is from a physical point of view you know that um they have a you know eccentric concentric eccentric um back foot landing rather than a a bit more of a sort of uh, a plyometric uh, and lighter touch as well. So um, for me, the two technical ones that we see a lot of at that angle, and also having to too far uh, back weight uh, position as you go into bound strike and through the air, and then into back foot contact.
0: That last one is interesting because uh, I know that Steph Jones has talked a lot about the two different types of bowlers. And although there is the, the ideal in terms of getting on and off the uh, the back foot, the soft step, as it's called sometimes, is important. Um, there are people that don't do that and they, they find other ways to generate pace. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's not I'm not necessarily something that's going to cause you a problem. It sounds like in Dejby's case, he is having a problem in that he said he's, he loses speed. Now, I don't know whether that's, you know, I don't know whether he's sort of analysed that, you know, um, objectively or whether he's just thinking, oh, because of this, that, which is always something you've got to watch out for, haven't you? But... Um, yeah, I guess the first question is, is it actually causing you a problem? Or do you think it's causing you a problem because you've been told it's causing you a problem?
2: I, I think that's part of the issue, isn't it? Is, is that directly the, the reason for a loss of pace? And I remember working, I used to work with John Wood, who bowled. Garris would tell me how fast he bowled, but pretty fast, I would have thought, Garris. Mm, yeah, yeah, decent, yeah. Up at length, and he would, have, he would have been kind of 85 plus a bit, I would have thought. Um, but he really felt that a, a lot of the speed that he generated was because he leant back a lot, and that allowed him to, in his mind, and whether or not practically this was the case, but he felt that a lean back and a heavy contact on that back foot then allowed him to um, really work hard through the delivery stride, as opposed to transferring energy from the run-up through the delivery stride into action. He felt like he could work very hard there. He's obviously a, a very big, strong bloke and powerful bloke, and, and because of that he was able to bowl 90 miles an hour. Whether or not he would have bowled faster if he'd gone the other way is difficult to know now. And, and I'd probably be of the viewpoint that having seen him bowl a bit, there's probably a balance between the two that he could have struck. I think he probably went back a little bit further than was, was necessary. But there will be lots of bowlers out there like him who feel actually the way they move and, and spending more time on that back foot for them actually helps them whether it's a case of stabilizing and uh, generating more power from being more stable as as Gareth has suggested this can sometimes happen if you're not directing your approach and you find yourself having to redirect your your alignment but um i i would i would first of all go down the options that Gareth has put out there which is is making sure your alignment's good making sure your weight's forward but there will be people who who Get, get a benefit out of that lean back and there will be people who feel that that's what adds them the extra 3-4 miles an hour first first up me, for me just have a look at the rest of the rest of your action are there any other things there are there any obvious um, points of misalignment where your legs or arms or whatever it might be aren't moving to and from the target um, how are you doing with, with other things like synchronisation in terms of your upper body working with your lower body um, and also how does your training around your bowling um, impact on the speed that you're developing so are you training and, and bowling 15 overs a day at kind of 70-80% because you're prepared for long spells or actually are you training to develop power are you doing the things that we've talked about quite a lot over the last 6-12 months that will help with power development such as um, first of all the technical side but but. The med ball work, the power work with lower body, upper body, etc. That's that's gonna give you a bit more, a bit more speed when it comes to transferring into bowling. So quite a lot to think about there. But obviously you've got it in your mind that this this is a factor. But don't be don't be consumed by one thing. Be aware that there there'll be many more things going on in your action that are all influential.
1: I think the important thing, building on what you just said there, Sam, is is the that people that do use. A heavier land on the back foot. And crikey, you know, there were so many uh, people that I played against that would have been in that bracket, actually. Um, There's a guy called Carl Rackerman, who leant back quite a long way and landed quite heavy on his back foot, but was incredibly strong, just like John Wood that you mentioned uh, mentioned there. Patrick Patterson, uh, who I fortunate fortunately faced when he was uh, having an absolute stinker and and, uh, his action had gone to pieces but he used to have a lot of weight on it in his back foot you know and and lean back a a reasonable amount as well but these are incredibly strong individuals that uh, were able to use what they were doing in a positive fashion and it sounds to me uh, in this case that that isn't necessarily happened there's a mismatch between the amount of strength uh, and the the technique that's going on, which then causes him to think that there is there another is there another way. And uh, uh, so uh, when you've got that mixed match, then I think you you need to you um, need to look look elsewhere really, and and maybe have a look at the alignment of your run up because over the alignment of your jump, which often happens, we see people turn in on their jump phase um, and then have to realign at, at the crease. Uh, That is something which is incredibly common in particular with with young bowlers. And I remember years and years ago when I was trying to be a bowler, actually trying to do that because terry alderman got incredibly close to the stump so everybody was trying to do it at that time but obviously from an alignment point of view it worked for him but it didn't certainly didn't work for me that is for sure um so have a have a little look at your own action again video is a great starting point isn't it getting that video footage from behind and then from the side you'll be able to see exactly how that back leg is working um and whether your thoughts in your head are actually being matched up in what you're seeing on the screen as well
0: Okay, that is just about all we've got time for on the show this week. So um, we are going to wrap up. But before we go, we're just going to decide on the winner of the competition this week. The online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com is up for grabs. And the two questions were Steve's one about centuries and fifers. fifers. And Ted's question about back foot contact as a fast bowler. Which one did you prefer this week, Garris?
1: I thought two really good questions this week, but just because it was slow, so different, you know, you said it wasn't a coaching question, but actually it got a number of coaches around around the country and on on air on this podcast to have a good discussion Mm -hmm.
0: about it. So I'm going to go with Steve's. Superb. Congratulations, Steve. And Gareth, if uh, other people are listening in and want to send in their question to us, how can they get in touch with the show? They can
1: give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach
0: at pitchvision.com. That's right. Uh, The rest of the housekeeping is uh, various other ways to get in touch with us and uh, how to listen to the show regularly getting in touch with us is pretty easy pitchvision.com is the easiest way head over there find the pitchvision academy account by searching for that and then send us a message on pitchvision.com or you can do it through facebook facebook.com slash pitchvision academy or twitter at pitchvisionacad you can subscribe to the show for free in any podcast app just do a search for pitchvision academy in there and you'll be able to subscribe or Or if you want to listen to the show through the PitchVision website, you can do that as well. You can download the show or you can stream it straight from the website. All of the shows right back to episode one are available there. Just need to go to pitchvision.com slash academy and click on the podcast link. That's all for this week. We hope you listen next week. But until then, have a good week. Cheers, Garrus. Cheers, Lavers. Cheers, fellas.
2: Cheers, guys.